0: your English bible is in grammar and so we're just going to the translators are smart and they broke these down as a phrases for reasons so that's how we're going to look at it so it says in in love all right so that first phrase everything that we do when we're talking about the lord we've got to have as an anchor and a core tenant that that his love is always previous to everything that you and I do it's always previous God's love, it goes before all the things that have happened and it goes after all the things that will happen. And right now, all of the things that we do are always in response to his love because it's always before. In love, before you and I were around, before we existed, in love, he did what? He predestined us. So you see the grammar there. He, God the Father, predestined who? Us. Who's the us? Well, it's the saints' He predestined the saints. So look at the word predestined, and Treb touched on this a little bit last week, and we're going to get lots of opportunity to talk about these concepts and uh, through this first chapter because it's just riddled with it. And you asked, okay, what does uh, predestination mean? It means like to set the boundaries or to set the markers beforehand, okay? Okay, so what did he predestine us to do? He predestined us. So I get to the what he's predestined us to do in a second. But, so in love, that's the motivation. He, God, predestined us. He set the markers out beforehand and said, these are my people. So, of course, what we tend to do, and we're going to talk about always the elephant in the room here, is what we tend to do is we read something in the Bible and then we jump a step or two outside of what the text is talking about and ask lots of questions and wrap ourselves around. If you've ever been in a, in a boat or you've ever been uh, fishing where there's weeds, right? Talk about getting hung up in the weeds. It's because you cast a line on the weeds. The thing gets hooked in the weeds and you can't catch a fish when it's in the weeds because the hook's supposed to be in a fish, not in the weeds. And so when you get hung up in the weeds, theologically is when you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not fishing. We're supposed to be fishing for men, not pulling all of our hooks out of the weeds all the time. Are you with me? So Jesus didn't say, I'm going to make you fishers of men whose hooks are always caught up in the weeds. No, he's like, I'm going to make you fishers of men I get out of the boat and cast the net. I guess they didn't, weren't even using hooks. I'm not like, Tyler sure how they fish. Apparently there were nets involved. But I'm beating my metaphor to death. But the reality is that you always ask the question, and when you're studying the Bible, there's a couple of things. And One is you want to make the plain things the main things, and the main things the plain things, right? What does Paul have this, these words in here for? Trev mentioned it last week that this is in here for a, as a comfort, not a debate. So Paul's not writing this in here so that Christians can divide themselves into giant camps and debate what these things mean. Oh my gosh, he's writing it in here to comfort and to encourage The saints. That's why it's here. Now, the process of saying, okay, what does that mean? That's a beautiful process. That's what we can engage in, in community. So when it says, in love, he predestined us, it means that beforehand, he set the boundaries of what? He predestined us to be adopted as his sons, or as his children, as his sons and daughters. Through Christ Jesus. All these phrases are all linked, and it's kind of hard to stop at one. But, he predestined us. Paul's going to explain here in just a minute about this process being in accordance with his pleasure and will, or in accordance with the kind intention of his will. And the idea is that God said beforehand, those are going to be my kids. And I was looking at different versions of the Bible, which there's a lot out there, and I found one called the plain English version, which is in the process of being translated. So it's being translated for uh, groups of um, Australian indigenous people who speak a variety of indigenous aboriginal languages, and, uh, but a lot of them speak English. And so they're writing a translation that's like really plain so that those folks can have a Bible that all of them can basically use, right? Called the plain English version. <clears throat> so this isn't, there's that, there's like a pidgin English version. There's lots of English versions out there. But this one I just like, plain English. Listen to this. This is a... Uh, Starting in verse 4. A long time ago, before he made the world, God picked us out to be his people. And he joined us to Jesus so that now God can say we're good. Like we never did anything wrong. He loved us, so we got Jesus to bring us into his family. And now we can be God's own kids. God did that because it's what he really wanted to do. So we have to thank him a lot for that. God loves the son Jesus very much. And after we're joined to his son, God's really good to us too. Why do you think translators translated that for a group of people in English? Is it because they want them to get in big fights about who predestined what to who? It's because he wants them to know, and it's because God wants us to know, I'm in control and I've planned this whole thing out. It didn't just happen that God's sitting up there in heaven and Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil, and he's like, what am I going to do now? Oh, they're totally blowing plan A. Now I've got to go to plan B. and Abel. Okay, plan C. God goes through the entire alphabet. He's like, I'm going to have to make more alphabets because they keep blowing all the... God is not surprised by anything. That's why it says he predestined us. Who is the one that's deciding things? Him, not me and not you. And what did he predestine us to do? To be adopted. So that word "adopted" obviously has a legal ramification where someone becomes the legal heir of somebody else, meaning you're their legal child. But he adopted us as his sons. So this idea of being adopted. There's many adoptive families in our church. We ourselves, our youngest son Joseph, is, is adopted. And we got the great joy of being at the at at Izzy Thrower's adoption and her ceremony in the courtroom. And if you've never been to one of those, they're fantastic. So I've only been to two. One was my own child, which is rather emotional. And then the other was was Izzy where Rail cried. So you're in there and you have these, you have a judge. So the judge is sitting up there and they're presiding over things, and a lawyer comes up and reads all these things. And you have these parents that come up, and then there is this child. And so this process is saying, okay, this child you are not this child's legal parents. And in this hearing, you become their legal parents. And in that process, they read out these things, and they read out the child's name before they are adopted. And then the parents often change their name. And in, uh, in, in our case, we, we changed Joseph. We gave him our last name. You know, he's a, he's a Scot now. And so there's this process that goes through. And then a judge declares... This child is your child with all the rights and privileges, just as if they were born to you. They are in every way, shape, and form, legally, your child. There is no legal distinction between a biological child and an adopted child, period. There's none. On Joseph's birth certificate from the great state of Texas, it says that his parents are Jenny and I. So when we talk about adoption, there is this sort of legal process, But some other courtroom language in the Bible is this idea of justification, that we're standing before a judge and we've been condemned by our sins and that Jesus Christ is our advocate that stands between us and our condemner, a holy and righteous Father. Why are we condemned? Because we sin. And we stand condemned in our sins already. That's what John 17 says, that we stand condemned in our sins. The only thing that frees us from this condemnation is faith in Jesus. So those who put their faith in Jesus God is the judge, then looks to Christ, puts our, his guilt, our guilt was put on him in a, in a, in a propitiatory sacrifice, that we'll get into in the next two verses, which is what Paul will do, but I'm not gonna get into today. But this idea that he we're declared righteous before a holy God, that's justification. God says, you're righteous. You have Christ's righteousness on you. It's called the imputation of his righteousness, his righteousness is put on us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that through him we might become the righteousness of God. This is justification. But there is a relational side to the just, our justification, and that is adoption. Because adoption is not just a legal transaction. Like, Izzy Thrower is not just their, like, legal kid. Yes, legally she's theirs. But she's their daughter. Joseph is my son. He is Jenny's son. There is no distinction. None between a biological child and an adopted child in the mind and the heart of the parent. And that's what matters. You guys can think whatever you want to, and I don't care. Joseph is my son. Why? Because I say he's my son. And you can fight me. You could write You could write a whole essay to me, a million pages explaining why he's not my son. And I would take your little essay, and I would tear it into pieces, and I would burn it in my fireplace. And I would send it straight back to hell because that's where it belongs. So, Why? Because I get to say who my child is when I'm the adoptive parent. When it says he chose us, he uh, predestined us, God is the one who declares who gets to be his children and who doesn't. He predestined us, what? To be adopted as his sons and daughters. So that there is not only this judicial aspect to it, but this relational aspect to it. He becomes our father not just a judge. It's like the judge is now stepping off of the stand and saying, great, you're now forgiven of your crimes, you're free to go, and now I want to make you my child. Like, that would be crazy. But that is what has happened. Adopted, it. We get to be God's kids. It's amazing. And he's adopted us as, as his sons. Uh, other versions say, as his sons, through Christ Jesus to himself. Through Christ Jesus to himself. It's not sort of this faraway adoption. It is a father bringing children into their home. Children who were lost, children who had no parents, orphans, brought in to himself. And this phrase, through Christ Jesus, is deeply important. Because you and I had nothing to do with our adoption. So I want you to imagine, uh, Jojo, how could Joseph have affected or made happen his adoption into our family? He was powerless to do so. He didn't even know Jenny and I existed. He did not know. He is halfway across the world in the Congo. Baby Joseph did not know we were around. He did not know there were two people living in Guatemala who wanted him. But we knew, and we went after him, and we got him. He was utterly powerless, either financially or any other resources or, or cognitively or intellectually or by his knowledge, incapable of adopting himself into our family. Just ask any orphan. They're powerless. That's why we're told to protect the widow and the orphan, because they are utterly vulnerable. They're vulnerable. God gave kids parents to protect them and to raise them up. And when kids don't have parents, it's hard. And so, we had a son in the Congo, and we found him, we went after him. I know that the analogy breaks down on a lot of levels, right? Because we're not sovereign, and we're not eternal, and all of these things. We did not predestine from the beginning of time that we were going to do that. Was, all that falls apart. But the whole process, the reality of it, Joseph had no power to adopt himself. All the power was in Jenny and my hands. And the Lord moved heaven and earth to make it happen. It's an incredible story. But that in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus that we are able to be adopted as God's sons. Not because I'm worthy of being his son. Not because you're worthy of being his daughter. But because Christ is worthy, that worth goes to us. It gets transferred to us, and that is the means by which God is then able to adopt us as His children. It's incredible. Like if we're singing this song that God is good. There is, man, there, we have no end to the things that we can praise the Lord for if we would but just stop and read the Word and consider it. Most of my grumbling and my complaining, which I, I don't know, maybe I'm just human. I I tend to grumble and complain about things sometimes, and so I think I'm not alone in this, but the whole nation of Israel kind of did a lot of that. And then the pictures of the Bible of lots of grumblers and complainers. The New Testament tells us, don't do everything without grumbling or complaining. So when I grumble and complain, if I focus on the truth of what God has done for me, it kind of makes the grumbling fall apart. It just doesn't have any backing anymore. And when I look at what God has done for me through Jesus, I was utterly powerless, utterly alone, utterly lost. And yet God redeemed me and not just saved me and calls me righteous through Jesus, but then makes me his son. And it says he did it. Look at this phrase, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Some of your versions may say, uh, according to the kind intentions of his will. Uh, it's these, really these, these two words that mean a goodwill or benevolence, delight, pleasure. Um, like in this version right here, it says he did it. Uh, God did this because it's what he really wanted to do. <laughs> I love the basic, basicness of that, right? Why did God do this? Because he really wanted to do it. Well, was somebody making him do it? No. Why? Because anybody who would make God do something, that would be God. Can't make God do anything. Whoever makes God do something, that's, let's go worship that thing because they're more powerful than God. I want to worship the almighty God who is pushed by no one who was motivated only by himself. And it says that in accordance with his pleasure and will. Do you know that you are adopted as sons through Christ Jesus because it's what God wanted to do. And it is in in accord with, in line with, his will, what he wants, and his pleasure. He took such great pleasure and delight in adopting you as his daughters and his sons. It's remarkable. The process with Jenny and I was hard with Joseph. The amount of paperwork you have to do to go through an international adoption is crazy. Like you can just make a baby and you go to the hospital and have a baby and then they just send you home. we are like, here we go. Deuces, like uh, we'll see you, uh, never. And that's it. I don't have to sign, pass a test, take a class. You're like, no, go feed your baby. And that's it. They just let you go home. The, the process that we had to have, ooh, months. Months and months and mountains and mountains. You have a file with all the papers in it just to remind us how much we loved this child and how we would fill out a million pages of paperwork a hundred times a day and we would do it all over again for the rest of our lives just to get Joseph. How much more pleasure did God take in adopting you as his child? Do you think he's joking when he says that it was in accordance with the kind intention or the pleasure of his will? He's not joking. It's not making things up. He's saying it because it is true. God looked at you and he said, I want this person to be my child and I'm going to take joy in that process. Jesus takes the joy before him and says, I'm going to go rescue my brothers and sisters and I'm going to bring them into our family. It's amazing. Watching the Trinity as we looked at last week, working through this whole process is incredible. Just two quick asides. Watch for the Trinitarian languages to go through this, but also there's a phrase in here, in him or in Christ. Just keep that in your brain. As we study through these, especially this first chapter of Ephesians, it's going to happen a lot. And if you want to take a note card, I'm a dork for note cards, but you take a note card and you just write, get a big one, and you write on the front of it, in Christ I am or in Christ I have. And as you, or maybe just write it in your Bible, circle it and say, because I'm in Christ, what do I have now? What's true of me? And write those things down. In Christ, see as we go through this what's going on because you're in Christ. For us, not in Christ, but through Christ, we're now adopted as his sons. Okay, next phrase here. To the praise, so all this is done, this process of adoption, this predestined us to adoption as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. That is to the praise of his glorious Grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. So to the praise of his glorious grace, what is the result? Remember we talked about that this was to a comfort and not a debate. Paul starts this off in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father. The the goal of all this is worship. It's praise. And then it ends here in verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace, like any theological discussion, this is probably a tangent, but any theological discussion that does not end in worship is wrong-headed, badly motivated, and just gonna get you in trouble. If you're de- having a theological discussion that doesn't end in worship, you're doing it wrong. The purpose of this theological discussion is to be to the praise of his glorious grace. That's, that's the reason why we structure a worship service like we do. Our worship service literally begins and ends with worship. That's because that's the whole thing supposed to end. Our life is supposed to begin and end in worship and worship all the way through. So as we think through these things and you think, what is my response to all these things? What is my response, to, what's my response to what I'm learning here? What's my response to the debate and the discussion of what does it mean that he predestined us to it? And as you look, what does it mean that he chose us in him? What does it mean that, and we'll get down to verse 11, we were chosen having been predestined. You know, what, what do those things mean? If the end result is not worship of the Lord, something's off. And you need to be really careful. Because that's where divisions come in the church. And that's where, I'm not telling you not to be theologically minded. I'm actually telling you to be theologically minded, but rightly so. So that it ends in praise of his glorious grace. Okay, tangent back. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given or lavished on us in the one that he loves. This idea of freely given or lavishing us in his grace. um, It's this idea of... So, okay, have you ever um, been, okay, well, this happens in our family a lot because everybody drinks each other's drinks, right? So you make a drink and you have a cup of something and then somebody sees it and then they drink it because, you know, they're like, oh, that's here. Surely that was made for me. I'm going to drink it all and then I'm going to leave it empty. And so... If you were to imagine that there's a bunch of thirsty people around and there is a cup that never runs dry, and so, which is this image is, of, is of course, in, in the New Testament with the river of life you can come to and all who are thirsty can come to drink. We can come to Jesus and that this cup never runs out. And so no matter how thirsty you are, no matter how much your need is, you can always come to Jesus and get a drink. So this idea of freely given us this grace that has been lavishly given to us, there is no end to it. Why? Because the giver is infinite. He has no limit. He does not run out of resources. He does not run out of grace. He does not run out of time. He does not run out of passion or desire or love. He does not run out of any of the things that people run out of. God, our Father, is infinite in his love for us. And he is infinite in the way that he gives us his glorious grace. And you notice how he gives it to us at the end of verse 6? It's freely given us in the one he loves. That's Jesus. Because he loves his son so much, we are the recipients of this grace. Isn't that wonderful? This, the picture that we get of the father... Loving the Son, of course, the word Spirit is not in here, but as you read the the, the rest of the context of Scripture, how the Spirit is working on all this to regenerate believers who are dead in their sin and to fill us with the life of Christ and all that is going on in this. We get to like step into the middle of the relationship with the triune God, and we are abundantly, overwhelmingly blessed because of it. That's why back in verse 3 he says he's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay. You can just tell him I'll, I'll talk to him later. It's, uh, I'm, I'm up here I'm busy, so um, So he going read this again, and then I want to get into a, a little bit of application, and then um, we're going to be done. Let me just read this again: In love, he, God the Father, predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters, through Christ Jesus to himself, in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You, if you're hearing my voice right now, and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what, even if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, God loves you. And he wants you to put your faith in his son and be saved from your sin. And if I'm saying these things, you're like, none of this makes any sense to me. I don't know who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who comes to save. That's what his name means. And so when you realize and you're convicted of the sin that is in your heart, and you look to God and you say, Lord, save me. I believe that Jesus Christ was your son. That he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead. I put my faith in you, and I trust in you to save me. That makes you a believer. That means these things are true of you. For the saints, for those who are following Jesus, you are loved. You are loved. How do I know that? Because it says in love he did these things. So you are loved, not just liked, not tolerated, not patiently endured, loved, loved. And a a world that is totally breaks and has always broken, what the meaning of the word love is, means that God gave himself up for you. He loves you. And because he loves you, it means that you are adopted. And because you're adopted, one of the things that means is that it means that you are wanted You are wanted by God. He desires you and it pleases him to come after you. You were lost and he sought you out. This is the character of God. It's why Jesus is the good shepherd. And when a sheep goes away, he goes and gets the sheep. You are wanted. When Jesus picks the disciples, it says that he picks these 12 people that he wanted he wasn't just picking 12 dudes. He could have probably picked 12 better dudes, but he picked those because he wanted them. You are here. You are is because he chose you and he wants you. If you want to sit here and debate with me why that's true or what's not true, you know what? You can go talk to a wall. I'm going to rest in the truth that I want it and that I'm chosen. That when I'm struggling, then when I'm like, why am I here? What does all this matter that God tells me I know you don't have all the answers, and I know you're frustrated, but I want you to know that you're wanted, that I want you, that I pursued you in love, and that you're mine. You're wanted. And what that means is that you've been given this account, like a a debit card where the, the, uh, the account has no limit. And God has said, into this account, I have given you my love. And you can draw and draw and draw and draw and draw and draw, and you will never overdraw that thing. And as much as the world tries to pull from that account, and they suck all the life out of you, you can pull life and love and grace and hope from an account that will never run out, ever. So my question is, are you drawing from that account? Or do you have some other debit card that's got a limited, I'm going to draw from my own self-worth, I'm going to draw from my own self-capacity, I'm going to draw from my own capacity to do this, my own brilliance, my own money, my own whatever. That account will run out. But the one that says you are wanted, that you were adopted, won't. So draw from it. You can't overdraw it. You can't. There can be no purchase in your life that you're going to need to make that that won't cover, that the grace and the love of God's pursuing love for you won't cover. So it means that you want it. It means that you are pursued by grace. This idea of pursuit, like if you're a a gazelle out on the Serengeti and you're being pursued, is probably bad, right? That's not the kind of pursuit that I mean, not like a predator and prey pursuit. Um, The picture we get biblically is is a husband pursuing a wife, Right? Out of love, he sees this woman, he desires and loves her and wants to take care of her and be her husband. Not to use and abuse, but to give himself up for her. That's a biblical picture of husbandry. I'm the wrong word. I feel like that's like a very farm-like. Um, but the word husband means to be a wise manager. But anyway, the idea of husbanding, this is what I'm talking about, pursuit. So you go and a man sees this wife and he pursues her and he goes after her, not to conquer her, but to love her. To say, I, of course, in human relationships, this is just a picture of the true relationship that what God has done with us. But that God is pursuing you with his love. Do you see the pursuit through this thing? In love, he predestined us, he planned it out. He set the boundaries and said, you're going to be my child. And I'm going to send Jesus and he's going to come and rescue you to bring you into our family. And all that is going to be because I really want to do that. You are pursued by God. That means that if you're struggling right now, you're still pursued by God. That means if you're running away from him, guess who's running behind you? The Lord. That means if you're running toward him, that's great. Like you're going to smack into each other and this is a good thing. Like this is what David talks about in Psalm 139 when he knows that he can't get away from the love of God. I read some snarky comment, I'm not going to get into that today, about you know, David being some idiot shepherd writing about stuff that he didn't know about. Um, people who think that kind of thing can just continue to think it. The Bible calls them fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And an idiot shepherd said that. I would rather, by the way, stake my life on the truth from an idiot shepherd 3,000 years ago who was speaking true things about the true God than on what somebody says on Facebook today. Psalm 109 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Why? Because you're his adopted child and he's pursuing you in his love. You hem me in behind and before and you've laid your hand upon me. Think about hemming something in into a cloth. And then his response, such knowledge is too wonderful in me, too lofty, for who can attain to it? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even darkness is not dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. God pursues you because you're his adopted son. If Joseph runs away, I'm gonna go get him. And I will not stop until I bring him home because a father pursues those he loves. So you are wanted, you're pursued, and you are parented. You have a father who parents you. Um, Izzy is not, the throwers didn't just adopt Izzy and they're like, okay, you're on your own, Izzy. Um, hope you do well, get into a good college, take care of yourself, or not just leave you here at the courtroom. Um, that's not what adoption means. Adoption means that I choose to be this person's parent. And parenting, if you're a parent, I'm learning this, we've only had kids for 16 and a half years, it doesn't seem to end. So being a parent starts, and then apparently after they're grown, apparently you're still a parent, and you still care, and you still are involved. There's all these, parent is a lifelong process. When we uh, adopted Joseph, we lived in Guatemala and we had this kind of after year after thing celebration at our house. And one of our dear friends, again, uh, Juan Carlos Fuentes, came to our house and gave a, gave a little message for us. And in that message, he talked about looking at the, the doctrine of adoption in Romans. And he l- looked at this reality that God has adopted us. What that means is that he has chosen to parent us through the growth of our spiritual life into maturity. What does maturity look like for you and me? It looks like this body dies and we go to glory. That's the end of maturity. And then we're fully made like Jesus. That's actually, and you look at the the doctrine of adoption in the book of Romans in chapter 8, the concept of adoption says that we groan for our adoption because even though I've been spiritually adopted now, I'm not fully, fully adopted because this body is still sinful. And so we yearn and long for this adoption that's yet to come fully. And like so much of the Christian life, we live in this tension of the already, here I am, and the not yet what I'm looking for. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, this doesn't make sense to me, you're saying all these things, I don't really feel pursued, I don't feel wanted, I don't feel like I'm loved, and I'm yearning for something more. That's because you're yearning for what is yet to come. And you have to walk by faith in the reality that you've been spiritually adopted now, but not fully adopted yet. That is in glory And it's in the future and that's our hope and it's coming because God is gonna do it. Because he said, I predestined you and I chose you to be adopted as my children. And as we read in the book of Philippians, he will bring to completion that which he began. He will finish the good work that he started in you. God does not adopt you and then when you're 16 and struggling and desperate, just say, you know what, I'm kind of done, you're on your own. When you're struggling is, when a child is struggling is when they need their parent the most, When you are struggling is when your heavenly father is most after you. You understand that? If one of my kids ran away, that would would be it. I would find them. And if someone was hurting them, I would shoot them. I probably shouldn't say that, but I would. I don't really care. If you're hurting kids, you should be shot. So anyway, here's the deal. A father pursues, sometimes with vengeance and anger, the safety and the welfare of their children. Right? Fathers are supposed to protect. I talked about this last week, this idea of this caring, compassionate warrior father. I do not need a father in heaven who's like, well, gosh, you're really, really falling far down into sin. And I don't know, Brandon, what, no, I need, remember the song we sing, there's no lie he won't tear down, door he won't kick down, whatever, wall he won't tear down, coming after you. I need a God that comes after me. And that is what it means to be adopted. You have a father who pursues you, sometimes violently in love. The death of Jesus was violent. And it is the absolute apex of God's love for us. He loved us so much that his son died on a cross for our sins. He experienced the utter despicable violence of humanity, which is the wages of sin, so that he could win us to himself and pursue us in his love. So my question to you is, how will you then respond? The only response that Paul gives us here is to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. Our response to this, that we are adopted, wanted, pursued, that we are now parented, should be to praise the Lord. And that's what we're going to do now, so pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you have come and rescued us and that you have chosen us, predestined us, Lord, set out the things and said, I am choosing this child to be mine. And while we don't have all the answers to all of the questions that we have, the reality is that our response should be one of worship. Our response should be grateful praise to you. And so, Lord, I don't know what everybody's dealing with right now, what their struggles are, what's going through their minds and in their hearts right now. I don't know what everyone needs, but you do. And I know for certain that we all need to respond to you in praise. Praising you for your glorious grace to us your unmerited, unearned favor, that we who could do nothing to come to you were pursued by you in love, drawn to you, and redeemed. We confess our belief in you, Lord Jesus, and our need to praise. So help us, Lord Jesus, restore us, equip us for this week, fill our hearts with wonder, with courage, and with praise as we respond to you in worship right now. Christ's name, we pray. Amen.
1: I was an orphan, lost at the fall, running away when I hear you call. But Father, you work your will. I know I of my own I had no right to draw near your throne Father you love me still and in love before you lay the earth's foundation you predestined to adopt me as your own have raised me up so high above my station. I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. But Jesus, your face was sin. I worked my fingers down to the bone, but nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you paid my
0: Praise the Lord. I don't know what's coming down the pike at you this week, but whatever's coming, I want you to answer that trouble by clinging to the truth that God chose you as his child, that you are adopted. That means that you are wanted, you are precious to him, you're pursued in his love, and he is fighting for you. So fight like alongside of him and not against him this week as he grows you up in grace and truth and go in peace.